Hi, and welcome to the J.D. Power Travel Podcast. This is Michael Vermillion from J.D. Power, and with me today are Michael Taylor, who leads the J.D. Power Travel Practice, and Jenny Corwin from the Consumer Insights Team at J.D. Power. So welcome, Michael. Welcome, Jenny. Hi. Thank you. Uh, so uh, we want to just run through a few uh, topics that have been in the travel uh, industry news in the past uh, few weeks. Uh, so beginning with the airlines, uh, American Air- Airlines announced that beginning September 5th, uh, the basic, basic economy fares will include both a personal item and a carry-on bag. And then we also saw uh, something coming out of an interview with United President Scott Kirby, where he said that the airline will charge extra money for what it calls preferred seats in economy. So these are seats without any extra leg room or amenities, but they're just closer to the front of the airplane. So, uh, uh, Michael, um, what's your take from these two announcements from American and uh, United? Well, this really is a reaction to the way that people actually pick and choose flights. Um, Really, what's happening today is uh, a passenger, when he's going to look, he or she is going to go look for flights who might be using what we call an OTA or online travel agent, is looking at a list of airline brands and flight um, costs. Uh, and they can click on the uh, sort by uh, you know dollar amount uh, level and p- to pick one. And a uh, difference in $20 in fare makes an awful lot. So what the airlines are doing is trying to make that initial fare as low as possible and as attra- attractive as possible when the air, the air passenger has a choice. And they're doing this by taking costs out of the um, stream of the experience. And we call that disaggregation at J.D. Power, separating everything into the small little fine points, like how much does it cost to have another bag on the flight? Um, What if you get to choose your seat? Do you have any air miles? And um, also where that seat might be on the aircraft. Uh, So all those things, they're really just disaggregating and adding to the base price. So once you've chosen that base price, now they've got you on board and they're going to look to see how much more revenue they can get out of you. And this is just a continuation of of what we've seen with the bag fees in the last five or six years, where the uh, bag fee revenue stream for the airlines has become a billion dollar, with a B, uh, line item in revenue for them. Yeah, so Jenny, uh, I think we also saw some news from JetBlue this week about uh, announcing uh, that it's raising this check bag fee. Yeah, yeah, they're che- they were one of the last airlines to add check bag fees, and now um, they've raised their check bag fee up from twenty five dollars to thirty dollars, so five dollar increase there. Um, but I think it goes to what Mike said there about being a billion dollar piece of the industry. Yeah, and just some of the data that we've seen in our airline study has shown that the effect of you know the satisfaction effect of being charged for a bag has gotten less over the last four or five years, but it's certainly not zero. There is a significant dissatisfaction with having to pay for that bag now, which accounts for some of the changes in some of the airline scores, especially with JetBlue. Okay, uh, moving on to hospitality. Uh, in the news um, uh, recently was uh, some news about Airbnb. So, so we were hearing that business travelers have become an increasingly important part of Airbnb's business. Uh, the company said, uh, I think it was in a blog post, that Airbnb for work has seen bookings triple in both 16 and 17, and now Airbnb for work accounts for 15% of all bookings. So Jenny, is that a surprise, number one? And number two, what's the message for the hospitality industry? 
Yeah, thanks, Mike. I, I don't think that's a surprise that it's 15% of their bookings are coming from, from business bookings. But um, when you read into the blog post and the article a little more, you see that the actual business bookings are a 40-40-20 split between large corporations at 40%, startups at 40%, mid-sized companies at 20%. So the surprise there, for me at least, and I think for the rest of the hospitality industry, is going to be that 40% of the business bookings are coming from large corporations. Those are traditionally um, the high value customers at the, in the hotel space. Um, those are usually the people who have the contracts and the corporate rates with hoteliers. So to see that some of that business is, is starting to merge over to Airbnb for work is, is a little bit more interesting and, and surprising. Um, I can see some of the benefits that they mention that they, you know, they're touting for businesses is they have this, each individual employee is going to have their own private space, but you still have these collaborative spaces. So um, it, it is a bit enticing in terms of keeping everybody in a similar area and yet still having a nice quiet space to collaborate. Um, I think for the hospitality industry as a whole, so it's, it's definitely something to pay attention to, not that they haven't been paying attention to Airbnb in the past. Um, but particularly on the extended stay segment, I, I think this is going to be more affecting those brands specifically just because um, when you think about using Airbnb for work for uh, employees who may be relocating or who are on long-term assignment in a specific area, those are the guests who would normally stay at an extended stay hotel specifically catered to a long-term business guest. Um, and, and so I think Airbnb may be offering them an opportunity to be more immersed in the community uh, as well as actually have taken active participation in, in the area around them, especially if they're looking to relocate. So those are the kinds of things that I think the extended stay properties are going to want to look to start being able to include and, and make sure they're being competitive in that area. Well, and then some other news in uh, hospitality came from bookings.com. So bookings holdings uh, announced uh, their uh, quarterly year-over-year uh, -year growth for, for Q2. And this is in terms of a common room nights booked. Uh, that came at 12% in Q2. And perhaps more concerning for uh, investors and analysts was the fact that the company forecasted Q3 growth of somewhere between 6 and 9% growth. So that's way below where the growth has been for the firm historically, which has been in the 20s. So, so Jenny, are the hospitality brands finally gaining ground against the OTAs? You know, it, it's really tough to say. Um, based on the recent 2018 North America Hotel Guest Satisfaction Index study that we released in July, we actually saw an increase in OTA bookings over the last uh, year. It was, the data was collected throughout 2017 and early 2018. So uh, it, it's hard to predict the future. Uh, we know hotels and uh, brands are really driving that direct booking um, push through all of their marketing efforts. But um, we'll, we'll have some data on whether or not we actually see it changing in our data uh, coming up in October here. Uh, Mike, uh, any, uh, are there any uh, learnings to think uh, from this uh, news for the rest of the travel industry? Well, we've seen for the last couple of years on the airline side that they're trying to make direct booking, which is you go to the United Airlines uh, website to book a United Airlines flight. They've really stepped up the pressure and the benefits of actually booking uh, through directly through that site to combat what's happening with the OTAs. So that they might be seeing some ground. I'm with Jenny. Looking at our data, I don't see really any big trend uh, from last 
this year. But certainly we know that there's been a big push in the last three years to really um, tell the uh, buying public that go, buying direct on the United Airlines flight or whatever uh, airline flight uh uh, website there is is m- more beneficial and they have things like lowest price guaranteed so which is a little bit is somewhat persuasive to the consumer okay turning to the rental car segment of the travel space uh, we saw some recent news from avis budget where they announced a partnership with lyft to provide drivers with on-demand access to avis vehicles so specifically what they're going to do is provide or add thousands of vehicles to the Lyft Express Drive program to make it easier for people to drive with Lyft without the cost and burden of car ownership. So, so Mike, is this the, the future for rental car uh, companies just to um, supply cars to Lyft drivers and Uber drivers and the like? Well, if it's not the future, it's certainly, uh, if you can't beat them, make them work for you. Um, This is something that Avis recognizes that Lyft and Uber and the TNCs, the transportation network companies, are certainly making an impact on their business, uh, especially with shorter-term rentals. So it's sort of like private labels were in the uh, grocery store business, you know, 20 years ago. you know, the manufacturers knew that uh, if they could, they had to compete with store brands, they might as well be supplying the raw material. And that's exactly what Avis is doing here. You know, they don't feel that they can stop Uber and Lyft uh, any other way. Um, they certainly haven't been able to do it by lowering their daily rental car prices. So they might as well, you know, work off some of their inventory by making it available to Lyft and Uber drivers. Okay, and then uh, last topic, this is actually touching on the hospitality and the airline space. A recent Wall Street Journal article talking about Singapore Airlines working with the nutrition and health experts at Canyon Ranch to devise new menus and onboard wellness programs for long-haul flights. So specifically, uh, for example, the Newark to Singapore uh, flight, which can last 20 hours or more. So, uh, Mike and then Jenny, what do we make about uh, of this partnership from uh, the passenger's perspective? Well, there has been for a long time a lot of science around what happens to people at altitude, especially in an aircraft, uh, whether it's not only a, a high-altitude environment, usually pressurized around 8,000 feet of altitude, but there's also a lot less humidity, which makes the taste of food uh, so much different. Uh, there's been quite a few studies by uh, winemakers and vineyards about which brand or which type of wine tastes better at altitude, because your mouth is so mu- somewhat drier and your taste buds are just not as active at altitude, uh, so they need to have spicier food. So I'll turn it over to Jenny to talk more about the amenities. Yeah, I think from a guest standpoint, and I guess we can call them a guest at this point instead of just a passenger, right? I think this partnership really does signify a different kind of partnership uh, for airlines and hospitality companies. For a long time, we have seen partnerships between hoteliers and, and airlines, but um, Canyon Ranch is much more focused on, on health and wellness. Um, so to me, this kind of signifies a, a move from um transportation to hospitality and really providing a good experience overall and and a concern for the guests well-being. So um, I I think it's just an interesting shift overall. And I I think it'd be interesting if we see this trend continue with other airlines. Well, Michael and and Jenny, uh, another uh, great travel podcast uh, has come to an end. So thank you very much uh, for uh, for joining us today. And uh, for all of you, And for all of you listening to the J.D. Power Travel Podcast, uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.